Welcome in. It's the Mostly Magic Podcast. Jake Chapman here with you. Thursday, May 26th, the draft a little less than a month away. The Magic, of course, with the number one pick in said draft. And today we're doing a Chet cast, a deep dive into potential number one pick in the draft, Chet Holmgren. The 20-year-old, 7-foot big man, 195 pounds, of course, out of Gonzaga um, by way of Minnehaha Academy in Minneapolis. Played with Jalen Suggs, of course, in AAU basketball, in high school basketball. Uh, One of the most polished and interesting prospects that we've seen in years. Uh, One season at Gonzaga, 14.1 points, 9.9 rebounds, 3.7 block shots per game, um, a seven foot six wingspan. He can shoot threes. He can protect the rim. Um, the word unicorn gets thrown around quite a bit these days, but this is a prospect unlike anyone we've ever seen. He's very skinny, obviously a thin frame, um, but longer than longer than you can imagine. And of course that wingspan, very, very intriguing. And of course that relationship with magic point guard, Jalen Suggs, um, plays in as well. So um, what we did was we talked to a couple people that know Chet Holmgren very well and also from afar. So Brian Kalbrowski is my guy, my draft correspondent. He's been doing a phenomenal job through the draft process. I think he's one of the best voices right now uh, in media as far as draft analysis goes. He's very plugged in with scouts. Um, he writes for For the Win in USA Today. I talked to Brian, got his take on Chet. Uh, and then I talked to a couple of Gonzaga media members. Tom Hudson is the voice of the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Um, he does a phenomenal job calling the games. And then I also spoke with Theo Lawson, who covers Gonzaga for the Spokesman Review in Spokane, Washington. So we got a couple different perspectives here. Um, a lot of questions about Chet the Prospect, some questions with Tom and with Theo about Chet the Person, uh, what they were able to glean from his year in Spokane and and what might the fit look like? What does a frontline potentially of Chet Holmgren, Wendell Carter Jr., Franz Wagner look like? What are the concerns about Chet's frame and what it might look like a few years down the road? Injury concerns. Can you even uh, put a guess on things like that? So we do a deep dive into Chet Holmgren, the prospect. I hope you enjoy it. Take a listen. And welcome in. It's the Mostly Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Chapman. The deep dive into prospect Chet Holmgren continues as the Magic Land, the top pick in the NBA draft coming up here at the end of June. That was last Tuesday. Everybody very excited here in Central Florida. And I'm very excited to speak to Theo Lawson. He uh, covers Gonzaga basketball for the Spokesman Review in Spokane, which is a great name, by the way, Theo, for a newspaper. I love it. Uh, He is a graduate of the University of Idaho. Also, Theo, I think you're my first vandal here on the podcast. And I want to start there. This is just a question for me. And that's why I call it the Mostly Magic Podcast, because I get to sort of delve into uh, stuff that I want to know about the college experience, Theo, in Moscow, Idaho. Explain it to me. Moscow is a cute little college town in, in northern Idaho. I, I grew up in California in the Bay Area, and so I'm used to San Francisco and Oakland and millions of people around me at all times. And uh, and uh, so I, I decided to to kind of take a, a chance in college, and I was kind of deciding between the University of Idaho and Arizona State, which are two uh, polar opposites as far yeah. as kind of. The, uh, the the atmosphere and uh, but both had good good journalism schools and that was kind of my target I, I knew, knew I wanted to go into sports writing sports journalism so I actually had a, um, a good friend from high school 
who had a tennis scholarship to play at Idaho. He kind of starts talking up Idaho. He was there a year before me. And so I, I just kind of started Googling it and went up there, uh, went up there with my mom on a visit and just really kind of loved the remoteness of the area. And, and it, it, it's really a, a true college town, college area, uh, Pullman, Washington and Washington State University is actually only eight, eight miles away from, from, uh, from my, from my, from my school. So, so oh, I didn't know that. I didn't realize they were that close. Yeah. Two pretty cool college towns right there. So, so everything um, in the area is about the colleges and, and the, the cities are kind of built around the colleges. So, so you're, you're not too far from Spokane about an hour and a half, but, uh, but you still kind of have that, uh, that, that college atmosphere. And I, I really, I really loved it up there. It took me a few, a few years to get used to the winters. I'm from California. So we, so we pretty much have summer all year, uh, uh, um, probably similar to, to you guys down there in Orlando, but, uh, but we had, we had seasons up here. And so I really like the fall and the winter and really kind of got into college football, college basketball. And that's where I am now. Yeah, kind of vice versa for me. I'm a Cleveland native who's been in Florida now for a long time. So I had to get used to the summers. That was that was what I had to wrap my head around. And I still haven't. I don't know if you ever can. Uh, living in a swamp down here. Well, thanks for taking some time. I really appreciate it. You do a great job covering um, Gonzaga basketball. Would you say three seasons or three years now you've been with the uh, – First year covering Gonzaga full-time, but, but but I've been able to, to kind of help out with uh, with uh, WCC tournaments and NCAA tournaments. I, I covered Washington State before this, and, and, and typically whenever – WC would get bounced from their conference tournament, which, uh, which, you know, the last 10 years happened to be in the first round. <laughs> uh, I, I would, I would kind of switch over and help out with Gonzaga. So, so I've covered a lot of these uh, tournament runs was, was at the national championship game um, in, uh, in 21. So, so I've, I've had some experience, but, but first, uh, first full year covering the team. All right. Um, first question is not about Chet. Well, the first question was about the university of Idaho, but um, Drew Timmy, tell me about covering Drew Timmy. I, he's had a, what seems like a pretty successful week in Chicago. I'm fascinated with the guy, um, the guy Drew Timmy, but, yeah. uh, what's it been like covering him and what are you hearing, uh, if anything about his NBA draft prospects, that could probably do a lot worse than a guy with that sort of, uh, um, that kind of accolades in college, but I know it's probably going to come down to, can he defend the perimeter? Can he switch out on pick and roll? And that might be a bit of a trick for him. Yeah, yeah, Drew, Drew, Drew's quite the personality, and I, I've, I've been telling people uh, about the last few weeks. You know, I, I hope he kind of makes whatever decisions best for him. If, if he gets a guarantee to, to be drafted, and then he should, ser- should certainly do that. But, but I want him back at uh, Gonzaga because he gives great quotes. He, yeah. he, he's great for the media. The media loves him. He loves talking to the media. So, so he's he's funny. He's he's genuinely himself. He, he doesn't try to be anyone else. And and, and uh, you know, he'll he'll slip in a few uh, cuss words in press conferences, and that, that's just kind of the Drew Timmy experience. And he's he's a real fun say the- player to watch. The other day when he got called for a travel and he said, they're not ready for the sauce. I think it was in, yeah, in Chicago. Like that's beautiful. I, I love it. A, I think he had an exchange during the scrimmage yesterday. I, I, th- I think they had, they had the ball with two seconds left coming out of a timeout and said, Hey, we, we, we still have a timeout. Right. And tried trying to kind of organize the team. And they said, no, no, we don't. And he said, you know, I, we don't want that bitch anyway, or something like that. So um, he's, 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 he's genuinely himself. And, and you have to love that about, uh, you know, college player. He's, he's really comfortable in, in his own skin. And, um, I'm not quite sure yet if, if it's all going to translate to the NBA. He, he really needs to kind of work on his three-point shot. He was able to, to make a few of them last year at Gonzaga, but typically it went. He, he made his first one and usually missed his second one and then didn't kind of shoot the rest of the game. And if he missed right. his first one, he probably didn't shoot the rest of the game. So so he's he's kind of, a, um, I would say, probably around a 30% three-point shooter right now. And, and he he did make his first one at the draft combine yesterday. So so if he, if he can kind of show scouts that, that, that he can kind of at least uh, knock down the occasional three and have people kind of respect him from, from the perimeter that's obviously a good sign for him and, and he, he obviously doesn't need to work on his defending he's not the the quickest guy in the world laterally but but he's he's uh, he's he's fundamental and he, he kind of knows where to be so so just his iq of the game i think will help him on defense but he, he's probably got to get stronger his his body fat percentage came in at 15 percent, which was the lowest among uh 
or I guess, sorry, the highest, but also the lowest in, right. among, among uh, draft combine it's guys perspective. a couple days ago. <laughs> so, so he's, he's probably got to work on his body a little bit, just like, just like Chet does, but, but he's, he's, I think he has a role in the NBA. He's, he's one of the, um, one of the best low post college players I've ever seen. His footwork is amazing. And he, he, he proved yesterday uh, scoring 13 points uh, in the combine that, that he still can score against uh, NBA caliber players. Yeah. You look at guys like, um, like I think of Garza, you know, last year from Iowa and he found a spot. Now Garza's a better perimeter shooting uh, shooter, but I think the concerns are probably the same athlete, you know, great hands, great footwork. How much does that translate? You're probably looking at a second round undrafted type guy, but I mean, you could do a lot, and especially with, with the personality, with the success he's had, you know, coach few and the staff have him um, at least, you know, at an NBA level and, and sort of, um, that kind of resume. And, and I think that background, I could see him definitely sticking around the league um, for a handful of years. All right. Uh, enough hesitation here. Let's dive into Chet Holmgren. Tell me about Chet Holmgren, the kid. He's one, that's one thing that I don't think a, a lot of people know much about. He doesn't have this big sort of outward personality. Um, what was it like covering him and, and what's he like just as a guy? He's a really low key guy. You're, you know, you're right. He's, he's kind of the polar opposite of Drew Timmy. He, he doesn't talk a whole lot. He's not going to be the loudest guy in the huddle, but, but he's, uh, he's, he's always pretty excited to be out there. And then, you know, I obviously coming into college, he, he was projected as a top five pick before he put on a Gonzaga uniform, potentially top three pick. And so, so people already kind of knew what Chet Holmgren was. And then, you know, he, he's dealt with those expectations since high school and since, 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 since he, since he uh, crossed up Steph Curry at, at a camp a couple of years back. So, so right. he's, People have known about him, but but he's uh, he's handled everything really well, as far as I can tell. He's he's a really mature kid for his age, and and and, and really kind of embraced being at Gonzaga. You, you can usually tell when when a one and done player doesn't really want to be there, and it's just kind of getting through it, you know, going through the motions. But but Chet really wanted to be at Gonzaga. He obviously um, uh, knew a lot about Gonzaga before he committed uh, through through kind of Jalen Suggs. So so he really followed Gonzaga a lot, and and was was kind of on the edge of his seat, jumping on his couch when when Suggs hit that shot in the uh, in the national or in the in the um, final four game against uh, UCLA. So so he so he really kind of bought into the uh, the Zag way, the Zag culture, what they call it. And so and so I I think I think he. Um, I think he knew he was going to be a one and done guy, but, but really wanted to soak in the experience. And I think that says a lot about to someone who can be a, a pretty good teammate at the next level. And, and uh, he's, he's, he's not going to be the, the funny outgoing loud guy, but, but he's, he's, he's a pretty good teammate. Uh, he, he, he was great in interview settings and really mature. And so, 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 so I think that's going to be someone that, uh, that can kind of blend into to an NBA locker room right away and really kind of gets along with his teammates, his teammates like him. And that doesn't have to be, uh, doesn't have to be someone that he's not, he's, he's kind of who he is and people know that. And, and uh, I, I think respect that that relationship with Jalen is you know there's been a lot made of it um AAU high school Gonzaga but it's but but it is that strong right this isn't sort of a coincidence that they just kind of ended up on the same AAU team I mean they are they're really tight right they're 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 really good friends I you know I don't know if anyone would call them best 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 friends like they I don't think they talk three times a day or anything like that but but they're really close friends and I've seen stuff about them having sleepovers when they were young and play play, playing on the youth teams together then AU then the uh obviously the Minnehaha team that that won uh I believe four championships when when Chet was there and three when Jalen was there so so they won championships together and and so so they, they they really do have a close bond you know uh, Jalen came back a few times uh this this last season when when he had some time off and, and you could obviously tell that they had a really strong relationship and so so they they, they have a pretty tight pretty tight bond and uh, Jalen's dad's come come back to a, to a few Gonzaga games and, and really kind of wanted to watch Chet and watch watch Gonzaga stuff so there's there's kind of a, a, a 
kind of a click there between them and between a few of the other Gonzaga players, including uh, uh, Julian Strother and uh, Dominic Harris, Julian, Dominic, and, and Jalen Suggs were kind of the, the tricky trios, what they called themselves. And they all came in together. Then they all really had a, a close relationship with Chet. And I, I believe Chet came on his uh, first first uh, Gonzaga visit with those three. And so, so all, all four ended up committing, obviously, four of the biggest recruits in, in school history. So four for four, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so, so pretty big deal. And, and so, so I, I really think that relationship is, is pretty tight. And, uh, and uh, like I said, they're, maybe they're not best friends, but, but, but they are, they are really close. And I, I think they have a, a certain chemistry on the court that, that allowed Minaha to be successful. And unfortunately Gonzaga fans didn't get to see it in Spokane, but, uh, but, but I think it could work out at the next level if, if that, uh, if that pans out. Yeah. I, I, I only ask because, you know, a lot of times people sort of draw those lines and connect those dots on their own. Like, okay, uh, this guy played for this guy. He must, you know, he must love him. The coach might, must love him. A lot of times it doesn't, and just because you work for somebody or work with somebody, it doesn't mean necessarily you like them. It just means you have a relationship with them. Um, but I do think, you know, some of those dots you can connect, like it'd be one thing if Chet committed to Duke uh, or whatever, but obviously he followed in his footsteps. And I think that was probably a reflection of both his relationship with Jalen and also Jalen's experience uh, at Gonzaga with coach few and the staff. Would anybody view Theo Chet Holmgren's, would any Gonzaga fan view his, um, his the, the Chet Holmgren experience as a disappointment? He came in with so much fanfare and, you know, I, I guess the knock on him at the next level is kind of the knock. What happened in the Arkansas game? He got in foul trouble early. He's playing against a team of tough SEC level. You know, what probably three of them will end up being pros. Um, Eric Musselman is an NBA style coach, and I guess the concerns about physicality and potentially getting into foul trouble um, that come out of that game will sort of transfer over to the draft profile. We'll talk about that in a minute. But how how do Gonzaga fans view um, view Chet Holmgren's time there? I think that's probably probably the only knock you can make on Chet is that that he didn't play his best in, in the most important game of the season and obviously fell out and, and got into got into foul trouble early on to, to where they weren't able to, to build a lead on Arkansas and then kind of had to come in and save things late and, and uh, obviously picked up his fifth foul but still in that game you know <laughs> eleven points and fourteen rebounds has a double double and a couple of blocks so so he was still effective in that game not as effective as as, as he'd been in other games uh, throughout throughout the year and he kind of had to play a role against Zach because he had a guy like Duke Timmy he was an All American and in the conference player of the year so 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 i think chet came in knowing that he wasn't going to get 20 shot attempts a game and he was going to have to share the ball with with guys like uh, you know strother and, and andrew nemar who, who are both at the combine this weekend too. do you think and, real quick do you think that might have appealed to him when he committed in the first place like the yeah, idea yeah. of being able to defer to a guy like timmy offensively i, th- I think just playing kind of a team like uh um, playing more of a team game where, where, where you have to share the ball. I and mean, it's probably more realistic to, to what he's going to have to do in the NBA. He's not going to get a bunch of shot attempts in the NBA, just like he did in Gonzaga. So, so, so I think Gonzaga's system kind of prepared him more for, 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 for playing in the NBA rather, rather than some of some other school. Like, you know, I, I know Minnesota was, was one of the schools he was looking at. And if he had stayed at home and played at Minnesota, he probably does get 20 shots a game and, right. and all the attention on him, but, but he, he was able to play in more of a fluid system where, where he wasn't always the center of attention. So, so, um, but yeah, just going back to the Arkansas game, I, I think he could have been a lot more effective and a little bit smarter with his fouls, but that wasn't really a trend all season. I, I never really saw him as someone who, who was constantly getting in foul trouble. He was, he was pretty smart with with, with how he how we played, and if he was a little bit too aggressive at times. I, I I think I think he did know how to scale it back, and he didn't foul out too much. I you know he did foul out in the in the in the um the game before against Memphis. So so my argument maybe doesn't go too far, but but uh, he, he he was a pretty smart player out there, and, and he was able to be a real effective defender and one of the best defenders in the country without uh, without taking it too far in my opinion. So 
And the Memphis game is really interesting because I thought he outplayed Duran. And I think you look at Jalen Duran and the guy looks like a, you know, he looks like a, a third, fourth year pro in the NBA. And so I would think even if he did fall out in that game, A, they won the game. And B, I would think that would alleviate some some scouts concerns the way he played against against Duran. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, I, I think one of the first couple possessions of that game, he, he blocks Duran and really kind of sets the tone. And, and I think he did that once or twice more. And ends up with uh, with with four blocks and, and only scores nine points from that re- nine rebounds. But you have to remember that Drew Timmy kind of took over that game in the second half and scored yep. scored uh, 30 something. I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but over 30 points and really took that game over. And that, that, that's, just, that's just kind of what Gonzaga was when, when Gonzaga needed Chet to score. He scored and and was 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 very dominant, uh, you know, for, for five minute stretches when, when they needed him. But uh, but that game, obviously, he needed to score nine points and nine rebounds. And they were able to, to kind of win comfortably in the second half and, and, and pull out that win. So he fell out, but but he but, but he certainly won that matchup with Durant. And, and, and I think he came out of that game saying, OK, maybe he can kind of bang around with some of these bigger, bigger NBA bodies. And, and Durant's obviously going to be one. So so you saw it there in person. If he can kind of hold his ground and and protect the rim against a player like that, then, then you know, after a couple of years in the NBA, especially, he's, he's able to build the strength and and, uh, and do that on a nightly basis. How do you feel about that? What is, you know, there's, I mean, the next six weeks are going to be spent both by the front office and by all of us dissecting his frame, right? And and a lot of people are saying he's going to be injury prone because of that frame. And I'm going, no, I, I think it was John Hollinger made the point, well, that's less stress, right? If you're scared, you know, a lot of times seven footers are injury prone because of their lower half, their, you know, knees and um, the structural stuff down there, ankles and feet. And if you're not carrying 300 pounds and it's less stress um, on that, he's not exactly an above the rim type player. He can jump, but I don't think, he, you know, his game is not, it's not based on explosive athleticism necessarily. So I do think that mitigates some of the injury concerns, but it's hard to argue the fact that he's very, very slim. And as a big, you know, he, he's going to have to adjust to the physicality at the next level. Do you think it's a matter of four or five years from now, his body will look you know, similar to the way Giannis' body developed, and obviously he's not Giannis, but or is he going to be that skinny all the time? And he might be, you know, Kevin Durant's shape or Tayshawn Prince or somebody like that who can still be sturdy, just like in a skinny way. Yeah, yeah, you know, I I, I don't really ever see him turning into Giannis as far as when you look at Giannis, Giannis's biceps and and, and that body is just and massive, sure. and I don't see I don't see Chet ever turning into that, but but I, I certainly think with with a couple of years in an NBA weight room and, 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 you know, just, uh, you know, only focusing on, on your craft and, and on your career. I, you know, I, I certainly think there's, there's a lot of room to, to add, you know, hopefully 15, 20 pounds at the very least. He's, he's right now, he's seven foot one ninety five. It is what it is. That That's not going to change until the draft. And it's probably not going to change a whole lot um, uh, for, for, for kind of the foreseeable future. So, so you're kind of drafting someone who you hope can, shape his body but but i i really don't think it's as big of a factor as a lot of people are making it he's he's a pretty tough player he's 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 more physical than than you'd think someone who's seven uh, seven feet and, and 195 is and then he um he does get knocked down quite a bit because again he's he is only 195 pounds so so if you have a bigger guy he's gonna um he's gonna pull that over and not <laughs> knock it to the ground but but he he gets up every time and runs back down the court and he, he he's able to take charges and isn't afraid to take charges so so he's he's really physical for size he's he's a really tough player or two and um he's he, he certainly showed the ability to block shots against these guys who who uh, had probably 40 to 50 pounds on him including Jalen Duran and, and kind of the uh the top the top sequence of, of Chet season was the UCLA game in uh, Las Vegas in um November uh, Miles Johnson of, of UCLA a seven foot you know probably 250 60 pound center um uh, you know 
uh, tries to score over him at the rim and, and Chet blocks it and, and kind of uh, grabs it, grabs it down and, and dribbles up the court, goes around the back behind Miles Johnson, shakes him and then, and then takes you know, maybe two long steps to the rim and, uh, and dunks it. So, so that, that kind of shows his versatility and, and, and the fact that he's, he's going to be playing against a lot of guys who, who, who are a lot heavier, but um, he, he can still be effective at the rim as, 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 a, as an elite rim protector. And, and, you know, like we were talking about earlier, I, I don't think he's going to have to only play in the post at the NBA level. So I don't think he's going to just be seeing these, uh, you know, six foot 10, seven foot, uh, seven foot, you know, 250 pound bodies all the time. I, I think he has a chance to really, to really kind of step out and, and, and kind of play as more of a wing sometimes and, and really kind of move around the court. He's, he's an athletic player. He's, he's probably more athletic than, than people think he's not going to be, not going to be a Giannis again, but, 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 but he is pretty athletic for size. He, he's able to recover and, and block a lot of shots that way as well as blocking a lot of shots on the ball. So, so, so he's pretty athletic for size. And I, I think that's going to be something that surprises people. And if you can't add, Another 20 pounds, I, I really think he can be a re- really, really effective NBA player and, and kind of hang around the, the league for a long time and potentially um, develop into a, to an all-star caliber player. Yeah, it's one of, it's like it's it's kind of the scary but enticing thing about him is there aren't very many prospects who look like him. And, you know, he's shorter then, but he, he kind of looks like Sean Bradley, right? But Sean Bradley played in the 90s. And so, yes, I would be a lot more hesitant to take Chet if, if it was – 94 and teams were running triangle offenses and dumping the ball down to Olajuwon, O'Neal and Robinson uh, and Ewing. But that's not the case anymore. That's not how we do things. And so I do think you can cover for the idea of, you know, okay, Joel Embiid, if he puts his back into Chet Holmgren, is going to get where he wants to get. Who guards Joel Embiid well? Like that's He does that to everybody. Yeah. (laughs) But one of the interesting things, Theo, is that the Magic actually have a guy who has, who is sturdy enough to not let Joel Embiid push him around and Wendell Carter Jr. And I look at what that fit. Like if I had to find somebody in the league or or at least build a front line for a guy like Chet to kind of protect him a little bit, the idea of Franz Wagner at 6'10 at the three and then Chet's your four or whatever, you know, positions don't really matter. But then having Wendell in there who can move his feet on the perimeter and also won't get bullied. I think that's probably kind of the ideal the ideal situation for Chet, would you agree? Yeah, yeah, you know, I I, I really like that. I I, I don't think he's going to be a, a true center in the NBA. I, I think if a team needs him to do that, I, I think he can do that in certain stretches. And or if or if a player goes out with an injury, I I think he can fill in that role. But but I I, I never really saw him at, as as the five at Gonzaga. I saw Drew Timmy as the five, and, and Drew Timmy was listed at six nine a couple of days ago in the in the combine. But 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 he was he was more of a center. He backed guy, back guys down, kind of. Uh, he's around. actually six nine. He he did six nine in socks at the combine. Six, nine at the combine. I, I think right. Gonzaga had him. At at six ten, so so no surprise there that the that the school. Always... I would I would have guessed six seven six eight. I did. They are they're always a yeah. little bit smaller than you think. Yeah, yeah. So 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 yeah. I I really think Chet has a chance to uh to, to kind of play a few different spots and and kind of move around and and uh, you know yeah I, I would love to see a lineup with with Wendell and 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 uh, Wagner and 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 uh, and Chet too. I think you know, three three kind of uh, seven footers. Right? I guess Wendell's pretty close to seven yeah. seven feet, six ten. So. 610 so so that that would that would be just, just the optics of that I, I think a lot of people tune in to watch the magic just to see three three big guys like that kind of patrolling the floor but but uh, Chet Chet has a chance to to really kind of be be kind of like a, a help defender down there in the paint and if if uh, somehow a guy gets past Wendell I, I think he's always going to be there recovering to, to, to block shots and so so he can block it again on the ball off the ball and recover and he's he's really quick down there and, and moves his feet well enough to to to, to kind of rotate and, and block shots and so he he's he's able to, to to also guard kind of smaller players and so so I think if you put him at the three or four the four I 
I think he has the has a chance to guard guys on the perimeter pretty well, move his feet, and and then also uh, you know recover back to the rim and and and, uh, and do it that way. So 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 I think he he does have a chance to play with other seven footers. I I don't know if uh, if that always works in the NBA if you have two uh, two or three big seven footers on the floor at the same time. I, I, I you don't see that too often in, in today's NBA, but uh, but but I think Chet brings uh, such a such a different set of skills that that I think I think it could work with the Magic. Yeah, you know everybody everybody talks about small ball, but like you don't have to be small to play small yeah. ball. The idea is you're not clogging up the lane offensively, um, and you're able to switch and and guard the perimeter off a of pick and roll. And I think that's probably you know with Chet's ability to spread the floor on one end, and then his ability to switch out, which actually to me is going to be one of the big things. Tell me about his perimeter defense, his ability to move his feet uh, and slide. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not sure you want him uh, guarding point, guard, uh, point guards, every possession or even shooting guards, but, 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 but he does have a chance to, to guard wing players. I think, and he's, 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 uh, you, know, you don't got to do it. You know, you don't got to do it for 10 seconds. You got to, you got to hold right until the help yeah. comes. I, I think he is able to, to, to kind of play, play, play in the switching defense and, and, and guard the smaller guys and move his feet. He's, he's not the, he's not going to be the quickest guy in the court ever. And, and, and that's okay. But, but, but he's, he's going to be quicker than most, uh, most fives and, and a lot of fours in the NBA too. So, so, so I, so I think he does have a chance to kind of go out there and, and, and just having that length, you know, he's, he, he blocked a lot of shots at Gonzaga uh, tied, Tied the school record that 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 Brandon Clark set a couple years a couple years back, and, and would have broken it if Gonzaga had played a full schedule and, and they had a few uh, games canceled to, to COVID. But but he blocked a lot of shots. But but I always tell people that that, that he affected more shots than he blocked because yes. a lot of teams after after he blocked two or three shots, they they, they weren't going there anymore. That they, they were they weren't taking that opportunity. Altering taking, shots, yep. So altering a lot of shots, impacting shots, and so he's so I, I think he's gonna have a chance to to do a lot of that in the NBA and and, and really kind of change how a team is gonna play offensively if if, if if they're maybe just going to start shooting more threes because he's on the floor, then, then it's obviously a win for whatever team, uh, whatever team gets him. So, so, so I, you know, I, I think he has a chance to be a really good defender in the NBA. He, he, he's not going to be able to hang with a lot of smaller quick guards, but, but uh, again, you, you, hopefully you have someone else on the floor, like, uh, like a Jalen Sykes to do that. So. This, uh, my buddy, Brian Kalbrowski, uh writes for, for the win for USA today. And he tweeted this or he actually had this in his uh, article about chat. This is incredible. The only freshman on record to take it. Let me know if you know, if you've heard this, the only freshman on record to take at least 53 pointers and attempt at least 30 dunks on offense while also recording a block percentage above 5% and a defensive rebound percentage above 25%. Okay. Three players have done that all time as freshmen, Chet mm-hmm. Holmgren, Jonathan Isaac, and Mo Bamba. Wow. So if that doesn't tell you that the profile fits what our front office is looking for, then you throw in the Jalen sub stuff on top of it. Um, look, we're, we're enamored with length. We're enamored with positionless basketball, and we really need somebody to space the floor for our, uh, our, uh, young cadre of guards. So I think it's a very, very good fit. I think you throw in the defensive potential on top of it. And that, that I think he fits very well with what we're trying to build. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, certainly that, that there were, there were, there were stretches of games at Gonzaga where, where he would, uh, he would score on, on four straight possessions and, and block a shot at, at the other end on three possessions. And then there, there was a stretch, especially, I, I think it was the, the San Diego game on the road and San Diego is not a, a great a team in the WCC, but, but just, I remember, I, th- I think, uh, I think if you look back, I probably ha- had a tweet about it or had it in my game story. I, I think he scored something like 10 to 12 points, had five blocks, had five rebounds and, maybe five minutes of gameplay and just, uh, just blocking a shot, coming down, dunking, you know, uh, catching a lob from Timmy uh, or, or stepping, stepping up and hitting, hitting a three pointer. So, so he just had these stretches where, you know, when, when, when he took over, there was nothing any team could do to, to stop it. And, 
had that stretch against UCLA, had that stretch against San Diego. And then, then we just kind of got used to these games where, where he was going to score 23 points, grab 17 boards and block four or five shots. So, so, so he, he, he just really has his pause on, on every aspect of the game and, and whatever team gets, him, I, I think is going to see that if not immediately after, after two to three years, probably. And those games against, you know, Arkansas obviously is going to be a game against UCLA. You, you play against Mick Cronin, a Mick Cronin team, and you're going to get hit. And so the way he quitted himself physically, I think in that game will be something that a lot of uh, front office types are looking at. Last thing, Theo, I really appreciate the time. Tell me a part of his game that is better than people are giving him credit for or something that you think is almost overlooked a little bit um, about his game. I think probably his uh, probably his mid-range game. You know, I, I think he talked about it the other day in, in, in the uh, NBA lottery uh, pre-interview, whatever whatever they did that day with ESPN. I, I, th- I think he talked a lot about his, mid- his, his mid-range game. And, and we didn't really get to see a whole lot of that at Gonzaga. But uh, but I always kind of, uh, you know, before the season, you heard all these uh, Kevin Durant comparisons. So I kind of pictured him as someone who's going to be able to spot up at, at, you know, from, from from kind of any spot on the floor and to just shoot over guys with, 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 with a high percentage. But he didn't really have to do that at Gonzaga. So, so I'm really kind of curious to see if uh, if that really is a, a real aspect of his game that, that he can kind of use at the NBA level because uh, you know the, there's not a lot of guys scoring at the mid-range, mid-range level anymore so so if he can do that and, and really kind of become a scorer at three levels the perimeter and he, he obviously has has pretty good touchdown low and, and it can be a great lob threat so uh, so 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 we'll kind of see if, if he can kind of develop into the, into that kind of uh, Kevin Durant type I, not comparing him to Durant but 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 if, but if he can have the ability to, to kind of shoot over guys to get a shot up and, and, and score from the minute uh, from, from the mid-range at, at, at a pretty high clip, then, then I think he can really kind of blossom. And uh, so, so I would say that his mid-range and his also his ability to handle the ball and, and kind of lead the fast break, he, he's, he kind of handles the ball, ball like a guard. And they had two bigs like that at Gonzaga between him and Timmy. So, so having, having two guys who can, who can pull down the rebound and lead the break and get the ball up the floor and, and, and kind of feed it to their, to their shooters was, was really valuable too. Quick follow up on that mid range part, because I think probably with Timmy, you know, the spacing, like you needed him on the perimeter to let Timmy operate. Um, and, and it's also, I think what people love most about Jabari Smith is his ability to get to that mid range kind of off the bounce. And now you're operating sort of in the elbow, kind of like where Dirk used to operate. Right. Uh, or, or Jokic, obviously, you know, none of these guys are either those guys yet. But the, the ability of shooting, you know, shooting a fadeaway in the mid range or even with Chet. Uh, pump fake, two dribbles, shoot off the bounce at 18, 20 feet. He's so big that I, you know, and nobody's got a handle like Duran. I mean, his arms, you know, he's keeping that thing on a string down there. But but the ability to hit one, two dribbles and pull up, can he shoot off the bounce? Yeah, yeah you know, that, that, that's another thing that we, we, we didn't really see at Gonzaga. So, so you know, he's, he's talked about it. He said that he can do it. He, he talked about being a 50, 40, 90 player and all that. So, 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 so I think he can really kind of show some of these things in the NBA. I hope to see it. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's, that's really something that we didn't see a whole lot of. But, but, but I think, you know, just based on uh, watching him dribble, watching him shoot threes, I, I can't really see a reason why, why he shouldn't be able to do some of that stuff and, and really expand his game that way. So, so if you can... If he can handle the ball well, if he can shoot well and, and shoot over guys, and, and that, that's really kind of a triple threat there. And I, I think I think we will see that. I, I think it kind of depends on what a team needs from him and, and kind of where he's playing on the floor. If, if he's with the Magic, I, I can see that happening. If, if he's playing more more as a four or three, but, but we'll have to see. And, uh, and I hope to see it because I, I think he's got, got uh, quite a big set of skills. And I, I'm sure – you know, you can only show so much in one season playing for a school like Gonzaga where they have, you know, two or three All-Americans and a bunch of guys who are going to get drafted. Uh, Theo Lawson. Theo, thanks so much for the time. It's uh, at Theo Lawson underscore SR on Twitter. Does a great job covering the Bulldogs uh, for the Spokesman Review in Spokane. Theo, we really appreciate the time. We'll catch up soon down the road, okay? 
Thanks. And maybe I'll see you in Orlando. Yeah, definitely. Um, the, uh, the weather is not great this time of year. Come, uh, come, come, come in the fall, uh, potentially. That would be my best piece of advice. Theo, thanks so much. Uh, Jake Chapman here with you. The Chetcast rolls along. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back in. It's the Mostly Magic Podcast. The Chetcast rolls along. A deep dive into Chet Holmgren, the Magic top pick, of course. Uh, we are just a little less than a month away from June's draft. Ryan Kalbrowski, my draft correspondent here on Mostly Magic, joins me now. He's been doing an outstanding job. Through draft season, saw Bronny James. Uh, what was that, last weekend, Brian? Yeah, that would have been last Friday, so a week from yesterday. So I encourage everybody to check out all of his stuff, USA Today, and for the win. Um, real quick, we were just talking off air. Just give me a, a quick little thumbnail about what you, what you took away from seeing Bronny. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Bronny is somebody who, like I was saying offline, is someone who people are going to have opinions about for a really long time. Uh, obviously, you know, with the name LeBron James Jr., you're going to attract attention. Um, and, you know, it was important for me to want to make sure that I was able to see him with my own eyes and evaluate him in person uh, and develop my own opinions, um, you know, rather than just hearing everyone else's and spitting it back out. Uh, you know, and I think for, for me, the, the thing I came away most impressed by was just his effort and his intensity. Um, obviously, he's got a great knowledge of the game, um, but he definitely has a real passion for the game as well. You know, calling out defensive rotations, you know, closing out uh, really hard on the perimeter whenever he possibly could you know, diving for loose balls, uh, sprinting back in transition. Uh, my favorite play of the game was when he he actually got his shot blocked on the perimeter. Um, rather than sulking at all, he sprinted back in transition and blocked the guy right back at the rim. Um, and I think that defense is definitely his, his best trait. Uh, he's, he's a lockdown defender. Um, mm. He is not very big. Um, I mean, he's, he's built. He doesn't lack athleticism at all. Uh, but he, he does not appear to be um, – you know, NBA size from a height perspective, obviously, you know, his father is six, eight, six, nine, maybe. So he might still be growing, but he's 17 and he's definitely, I think he's listed at six, three, definitely appears closer to six, one. Um, And, you know, I think that that probably will make him a point guard in the NBA uh, if he plays in the NBA. And I think he will play in the NBA. Um, You know, I think for me, the question will be how long does he play in the NBA for, um, you know, Bleacher Report's Jonathan Wasserman said that he could potentially play like um, a D'Anthony Mountain type role, the way D'Anthony Mountain plays for the Grizzlies. And I love that comparison. And it was a very similar vibe to uh, what I picked up on when I was there watching him too, where it's like he can play a little bit off ball. He can shoot off the catch. He can take the ball up in transition. Uh, and he's going to really make his make his living uh, playing, playing defense. And uh, he's long. He's definitely athletic. And, um, you know, I, I was definitely – uh, really, really curious and came away with a, with a decent amount of answers. You know, I think that I, I felt satisfied uh, with, with my experience seeing him live. And a chase down block. I wonder where he got that from. I mean, that's. Yeah, it was a real block by James moment. Um, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's, it's been fun. I, I, there's a, there's a video of it that I think follows life posted and I'm like very clearly in the background of it. Um, so I, took out the audio that uh, was used in the game and just put the block by James moment in it and nice. zoomed it on my face, zoomed it on my face to show my friends. I haven't published it anywhere, but I, it was kind of like, a, you got to keep those, uh, those, those little souvenirs, uh, those, 
um, what fungible, non-fungible tokens, I guess. I'm not sure, but, uh, but, but it is, I don't know it is. about all that. Yeah. Uh, me neither. Um, and, and probably wisely. So, so, all right. So um, topic in the draft, we had the Chicago combine, obviously not much development or anything as far as uh, the top picks go, but the conversations have begun the magic land, the top pick. It was a pretty awesome moment. I was at a draft party um, that one of our podcasts, the six man podcast through, um it was it was the the most hugging of strangers i've done in a long time Ryan. we were uh we were ready down here for it and now we'll get the uh the workouts will begin i think next week we'll start getting those guys in and the magic have been very open about it so we'll know who's here we'll get a chance to talk to them i'm really excited about that um and jeff weltman said look i mean we, we get the chance now to to fall in love with a really good player and, and to take him and i think there's been a lot of rumors about potentially trading back what's oklahoma want to do all of that I'd be shocked if we didn't go up there and, and take whoever it is we want at number one um, on the 23rd. With that said, I think you can make a really good case for all three of the guys at the top of the draft, maybe even another handful if you want to get into Shaden Sharp and Jay Nivey and uh, even Keegan Murray. But everybody, you know, conventional wisdom is I think Chet Holmgren and Paolo Bancaro and Jabari Smith will be one. Uh, it'll be one of those guys. Chet is so interesting, Brian. We've been talking about him basically going back to, to what, January or February. The It's starting to gain a little momentum that, that the Magic are interested. The Athletic is reporting that they're leaning towards him. But, of course, it's kind of silly season. You're going to have a whole bunch of disinformation. Um, off the top of your head, the idea of Chet Holmgren fitting in with what the Magic have now. Where, where do you go with that? I mean, he always felt like an Orlando Magic prospect to me. Um, even before the lottery, it always felt like he was almost destined to end up in Orlando in some ways. Um, you know, obviously Orlando's had some success with big men getting pick number one in the past. Um, and I actually think that Jabari and Paolo will probably play closer to the wing in the NBA, um, kind of in the same way that Carmelo Anthony does or did. Um, you know, I think that uh, like the, the comparison for, where Jabari Smith is probably closer to like a six foot 10 Ray Allen than it is, you know, a, a, a big man, even though he's, he has a big man size. So, you know, Chet is somebody who fits a lot of the archetypes that Orlando's front office tends to like dating back to, you know, some, some other time in Milwaukee, um, you know, just in terms of that length and, and that willingness to shoot. Um, and, you know, for me, obviously we're going to get into his frame. It's impossible to not talk about Chet without talking about his frame. The thing that really strikes me about Chet is like, I always ask scouts and people who are close to the EYBL circuit and the Adidas circuit and all of the uh, Under Armour circuits, like, you know, who are the guys that stand out in terms of their character? Uh, last year, you always heard Scotty Barnes. You know, everyone always celebrated Scotty Barnes. Everyone that ever met Scotty Barnes was like, we love Scotty. His work ethic is amazing. His willingness to get better is outstanding. I said real quick, I remember saying last year as we went into the process, I said, boy, everybody who meets Scotty Barnes is on team Scotty Barnes. Like that would, that, yeah. that, that was the prevailing, the prevailing notion on him. Yeah. And later, if we have time, I'll tell you who that similar personality is in this year's class. But when it comes to this year, I mean, it's a, it's a different sort of uh, personality type. Um, but Everyone always said, like, I've heard nothing but incredible things about Chet. You know, I think he doesn't lack competitiveness. He doesn't lack a desire to get better. He doesn't lack that drive and that hunger. Um, and I'm not saying that I haven't heard that about Jabari and Paolo by any stretch. But if the question for Chet is about, you know, his willingness to work, to put on weight, like, I think he's going to do that. 
Um, you know, he's, he's still a young man. He definitely is still, you know, his body is still changing. Um, and, and I believe that he's somebody who can play uh, in the NBA for a very long time in a very unique role. Uh, and I think that his defense is elite. Um, I think that his shooting touch is outstanding. I think that he shot like 80 something percent at the rim this year, maybe even higher. Um, you know, I think that he, he just has this unique blend, um, even some playmaking skills and transition uh, that, that allow me to, to really just believe in his long-term potential. I mean, he's somebody who played with a really low usage rate last year. Right. Um, you know, he doesn't need the ball to make an impact. Um, you know, like I said, 84% of the room in transition, you know, putting up more dunks and three pointers than the most freshmen you'll ever see. Um, I, I definitely think that the idea of picking Jabari or Paolo does not make you foolish. Like that is like, those are, those are really good picks too. Um, I, I just think that Chet has a chance to be really, really special. Um, and in a league that's becoming increasingly defined by defensive players, uh, I think Chad offers the most defensive upside. Do, do the other guys have defensive upside? I mean, Jabari, I... yeah, Jabari more so. I think Jabari is a plus defender. Um, and I don't think that Paolo is forever necessarily going to be a bad defender. People are not as encouraged by Paolo's defensive tape. Um, but Tatum wasn't a great defender when he came in the league. And now, you know, you're seeing Boston's defense has kind of been the reason why they're probably going to make the NBA finals. Totally. So, you know, I think with those guys' uh, size, all three of them, you know, all of them are 6'10 plus, right? 6'9 plus if we're, I mean, on what they're wearing shoes or where the color measurements would have been. I, I would venture to say Chet is 7'2". You know, he looks ginormous. He is towering over the Admiral, like, what, on the combine. Yeah. Like, he is a big dude. And, like, I think um, all three of them, though, are, are very, very – tall they're not going to be and they're not slow footed either per se um like you know in the same way maybe luca garza had defensive limitations because he's not a speedy guy you know can we go there because uh, because i think we all can see chet's you know what he's going to be able to do probably right away as far as protecting the rim especially from the weak side moving his feet on the perimeter is that a concern is that something you know switching out is he going to be able to um to keep up but you know you know you don't got to stay in front of um, of, of John Morant, but you got to stay in front of him for a second and a half until the health comes. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, the, the great thing about Chet Lane is that it does allow him an extra second yeah. um, to do that. I mean, he can get there a little bit faster uh, just by extending his arms, you know, in a way that few people in the NBA can, um, few people not named Mo Bamba in the world can, um, you know, I think that he definitely uh, is, is super unique in that way. Um, and, and like, uh, you know, speed is not necessarily, uh, like a strength of his either. Um, but, but I definitely think that, you know, as he gets more conditioned to the NBA and starts playing in the NBA system, he's got the, the smarts and he's got the know-how, uh, to, to figure out those rotations and to figure out those switching schemes. Um, and just in a chance that I'm just going to buy into him as someone who's going to figure it out and like. You know, are, are there potential limitations in terms of his foot speed? Like, like yes. Um, but, you know, like I was saying about defense for all three of the prospects, like none of them are Trey Young. You know, none of them are Damian Lillard. Like those guys can only do so much defensively. Um, and, and these guys, I think, just have the right length to at least be 
potentially able to add positive, you know, defensive value. And I think Chet has the ability to add, you know, all defense potential uh, on that side of the ball too. Yeah, you know, the, the, the knee jerk is, well, they're, you know, they all suck at defense anyways until they're 23, 24, typically. But then we saw a guy last year come in and, and, and absolutely turn around the Cavaliers. Defense. We saw, I, I mean, I think we saw throw three. Mitchell in there. Yeah, a handful of these no, guys, right? No, I think three, and one of them's not even Mitchell. I think Scotty Barnes and Herbert Jones. Herbert, um, Herbert Jones is a great example. Herbert Jones, I mean, granted, Herbert Jones was an older player because he played four years in college, but. Herbert Jones, I mean, if I was an official voter, uh, would have gotten like actual like all defense votes for me. Yeah. Um, like I, I did a vote with Uche today and like I voted for him there. So like, no, it's not necessarily true that like, you know, you're not playing defense right away. Like, you know, like you said, Evan Mobley turned Cleveland's defense around immediately. And, and Scotty Barnes was honestly one of the most valuable defensive players in the league because of yep. his versatility. I mean, uh, there's a site called B-Ball, B-Ball Index that tracks uh, specifically uh, positional versatility on defense. And Scotty Barnes was like number one in the league among rotation players. Wow. Like came in the league immediately being able to guard one through five legitimately. And that's not something that uh, should be taken lightly. That's a huge value. And it matters in the playoffs too. I mean, God, watch this series. I mean, it's it's like a rock fight every night, and it's great basketball, but it's uh, buckets are at a premium right now. Is it? I, I feel like one of the things with Chet is I think people assume because of the frame, and it's it's goofy to try to handicap injuries. Like it's like nobody's going to be able. You can't. It's random. But I feel like people assume that he has a lower floor because he might get beat up or get ragdolled, which I, I just don't really understand like the, the, the notion of it. But to me, I feel like he has a very high floor because no matter what you're going to get the rim protection, no matter what you're going to get good shooting from the perimeter. I feel like there's more of a base as a prospect than people are giving him credit for. And I feel like it's just sort of like what people are doing just because he's skinny. Yeah. I mean, like, I feel like the absolute worst case scenario would be like, Chris Boucher, who is actually a somewhat interesting player for Toronto. And that is if nothing really clicks, you know, because like Chris Boucher never passes the ball. Like Chet is an interesting passer. Like yeah. he can actually take the football up in transition. Um, you know, I think that, uh, I think that a realistic, like not worst case scenario, but like medium outcome is like Jaron Jackson Jr. And Jaron Jackson Jr., you know, also got all defense consideration and even probably some, for some people, defensive player of the year consideration this year. And, and you know, I think that Darren Jackson Jr.'s three-point shot hasn't really come along the way we wanted it to. Um, you know, coincidentally, the reason why Gonzaga lost is because Chad got in foul trouble this right. year. Um, and that's the problem that JJJ has had too. But, you know, I think that um, that, that Chad has a lot more upside than, than Jaron, honestly. And I think that, um, you know, in terms of, you know, those player comps, like none of them are perfect by any stretch, but, you know, I think that he can play playoff minutes um, and I think that he can play valuable playoff minutes. um, And I think that, you know, as he gets better, um, he's going to continue to be able to add some things in that bag to to do that. Um, But he doesn't get thrown around. Like that's like, like he doesn't lack toughness either. Like he's a he's a gritty dude who plays with some tenacity, and he doesn't he doesn't get thrown around. And granted, we haven't seen him against Joel Embiid yet, 
Um, but you know, who doesn't get thrown around by big? That's by what guys? I was just about to say, bro. <laughs> like Joel Embiid puts his butt into you, and you're gonna move. And it doesn't matter if you're Chad Holmgren or if you're Wendell Carter Jr. It's really tough to stop Joel Embiid in the post. Like, what is it? Like, I, what are we gonna do here? Right, and you know, I think that I think that Chet might be more of a four in the NBA, um, and that's potentially uh, where his best path to success could be. Um, you know, like I said with Jaron Jackson Jr., like, you know, playing them with like a Steven Adams type where Steven Adams is the one guarding the, the big bulky five um, and, and Jaron's on, you know, the four. Like when you have that sort of situation, uh, like you have now um, uh, an incredibly lengthy lineup and that's something Orlando clearly covets. Um, but, you know, and this is this is a different player, but if Jabari Smith comes, you're going to have a ton of length too, because I think you could play Jabari at the three. Um, so, you know, I think that uh, I don't, I don't think that there's much momentum right now at all uh, for Orlando to be taking Paolo. Although I think if other teams like got the one pick, maybe Paolo could have gone one. I think that, you know, in, in a different draft class, like, I think like if Houston had gotten the, the lottery pick winner, like, maybe they would have said like, Hey, we actually do want Paolo here. Cause I think yeah. he fits that style. So um, I definitely think that, you know, Chet is someone who, uh, who, who definitely adds like so much value on both sides of the ball, but I, I don't think we're on a decision has been made yet. No, I don't think so either. I do think, I, I don't know. My whole impression the entire time has just been, kind of been, I think Paolo's game is going to be the most difficult to, to transfer to the pro level. It felt like a lot of what Paolo was able to do, blowing guys off the dribble and just using his frame, like that's going to be tougher to get to those spots when you get to the next level. Whereas with Jabari and Chet, like Jabari is going to be able to shoot probably no matter what. Like he, that's just what he does and he's big enough to still right. be able to get it off. And Chet is on this whole other sort of like, we just, he's a unicorn and I hate using that word, but he is, he is a prospect that none of us are very familiar with. And that's, I think what scares some people. And that's also what entices some people, the idea of playing him next to a Wendell, just like you were talking about with, with, with Adams and, and sort of having that, the beef down there on the front line and, and potentially, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with Mo Bama. He's a restricted free agent, but we saw last year kind of the idea of Franz at the three and then Wendell and Mo on the front line. And if you were to just sort of swat Chet in for Mo, regardless of whether Mo's still around or not, does that make sense? Does that sound like a, a, a nice three, four, five deal? I think it, I think it makes a lot of sense, and I think that it's definitely something that um, you know has to be considered. Is like, what is that going to look like? You know, when you when you bring in anyone into your rotation, but um, you know, like we've talked about this before. Like, I think Franz was such an outstanding pick that he could play with a lot of different players. Right. Um, you know, Franz can fit into most. Uh, most rotations in terms of who you put him next to. Um, and uh, I definitely think that, you know, Wendell's shown that he is, you know, a valuable NBA frontcourt player as well. And, and I don't think that Chet is someone who, you know, is going to hurt them uh, even as soon as next season either. Um, because I think that, you know, that's the floor spacing he provides uh, immediately allows him to play you know, in those, in those sort of situations. I think that is a big deal. I think that that, um, you know, that three point shooting makes him able to not clog the floor and give, give the rest of the room uh, options. So, you know, Franz kind of provides a similar thing, like Franz's shooting ability on uh, his creation ability, you know, allows for so much versatility uh, in a lineup. 
What is something about Chet that you that you think people aren't talking enough about? What's an aspect of his game that kind of excites you that maybe people are overlooking? Uh, let's see. I mean, I, I definitely like I kind of alluded to this earlier, but I think it's that before the season started when I was asking scouts and everybody like, you know, who's who's the guy that people just think is the best. It doesn't have to be even like a top five pick in terms of just like the best like guy to be around. Like people always talk about Chet in that sense. Like I think his teammates love him. And I think that, you know, people will eventually talk about this soon with Orlando's fit, but like coming into the league and immediately having someone like Suggs as your teammate, if you're Chet, would go a long way. I think like, not that he's going to be uncomfortable in the NBA, but like, you know, the AAU high school, like, I mean, and then college pipeline to have those like overlaps and being able to share those things and, you know, having Suggs being able to translate for him, like, Hey, it's kind of like what Theo used to say here. Like, Hey, it's kind of like what, you know, this happened, this happened when we were in high school, like this, this or that, like uh, they don't have to be best friends either. Like, I don't, I don't know how close they are. I imagine they're pretty close if they did have those, you know, overlapping years and those championship runs because those guys were winners together. Um, But like, I think that, that that could go a long way in an immediate sense. And, you know, not that you you draft someone based off of, uh, you know, who Jalen Suggs went to high school with, but I do think that it could help Chet's immediate development um, to have someone like that in the locker room with him. I think that would go a huge part to his development. I think it's a very valid point. Um, and exactly like you said it, like, no, you're not going to take the guy just because they're buddies. But, and especially when you're talking about a place like Orlando, like, you know, I hate to say it, but we need guys who want to be here. And the idea of having of having players who are familiar with each other and them saying, okay, this is, you know, this is ours now, or, or we're going to, we're going to build this and we're going to do it together. I think there is a lot of value there. Um, You don't want to just grab a guy and say, hopefully, hopefully we'll resign you at the end of your rookie contract. You want, you want guys who want to be here. And that's something that you have to think about in Orlando. And maybe you don't necessarily have to think about in Miami or New York or wherever else. Um, And Brian, like, Dude, that so when I worked in Detroit, I worked with a bunch of people who were in Joe Dumars' front office and who drafted Darko, and they always told me basically like we they're all the same prospect, right? They're all balls of clay. We got to find the guy who loves basketball. We got to find the gym rats. We got to find the you know not the energy vampires, the guys who would walk into a room and blow the energy up in the room. Um, that that means a lot to scouts and front office types. The the interviews and the getting a sense of who the person is. Um, because it's, you know, we're all doing incomplete draft profiles anyway. So you got to draft the kid that you want. And I think it's interesting that you say that because I'm not sure a lot of people know a ton about Chet. He doesn't talk very much. He doesn't have a very big personality. So I think that's very reassuring that a lot of people are saying that this is the type of guy you want in your locker room. I've heard he rocks. Like I've heard that he rocks. Like I, you know, I can't say that I've spoken to Chet personally yet, um, like he, it's been harder for me to be around these kids with COVID the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, but like I said, like, I know people who have been around him, um, people who I trust and like, you know, their, their reviews are glowing. And, you know, I think that that is something where if you're going to be spending four years with them, you know, at least, uh, at the least probably for a first overall pick, um, unless you're like Marvin Bagley, like I, I think that, you know, that has to be seriously considered. And I think it has to be factored into like how much they're going to improve once they're there, because, uh, you know, I, I think that you're, like you said, like you're not drafting for who they are now. 
Um, and if, if the trajectory for Chet uh, is, and I mean, I think a lot of the players who have made it this far are, are, are pretty good, pretty good kids. I just think that it sounds like Chet might be closer to, you know, uh, like no, notably like awesome. They're so polished these days, aren't they? I mean, gosh, they're just more and more. Up. Ooh, it's, it's very, yeah, very, more more. very impressive. They are, they're brands by the time they're about 15 years old. Um, all right. Last thing I'll get you out of here on this. Tell me about who's the guy who's this year's Scotty Barnes that everybody loves. Oh, I think it's Jeremy Sohan out of Baylor. Yeah. Uh, I had a chance to interview him earlier this week for a one-on-one and uh, he, he really just blew me away. Super fascinating kid um, who, who's lived like a very different life uh, than most of the other prospects. You know, he, he went to prep school in the States, but, you know, mostly raised in the UK and, um, you know, his, his, uh, his mother's Polish and um, he plays for the Polish national team and, um, you know, has won, you know, pretty high honors playing with FIBA. Uh, you know, playing uh, in, in Poland. So he's already got a lot of that European uh, background in terms of highest level competitions because he plays for not just the, you know, U19 teams, but also like the actual like uh, fully uh, competitive like Euro qualifiers and stuff. So um, I I was really blown away by, by him uh, from his numbers just in terms of like his versatility. Like I could tell like, okay, this is somebody who contributes value from rebounding, assists, low turnover, uh, gets to the free throw line, dunks, you know, not a knockdown shooter, but he takes them. So he's not going to necessarily clog the floor. Um, his mid-range jumper looks good. So, like, uh, that's at least the directing that like, his jump shot's not fully broken. Um, but, you know, these are all the things that made me think, like, this is a potential lottery pick, even though he didn't average a ton of points per game. But, you know, when I started talking to him, I was like, this guy's got just a magnetic personality, uh, super – super interesting dude, like just like a really uh, different perspective, different approach, different, um, just different vibe altogether. And I think that a lot of teams have been impressed with him so far, but um, I think people are going to start noticing uh, more and more uh, that he is just uh, a really unique dude who can guard, you know, every position and can, you know, he, he definitely also is someone who shot like 75% of the rim. Um, so he's not like an inefficient scorer. Like, I think that he's going to really surprise some people next year too, in terms of the fact that he like he was, you know, sixth man of the year in his conference, like Scotty Barnes was. Um, so, and I think he can come in and make an immediate impact in the NBA regardless. Top 10. I think, I think so. I think that, uh, I think that if Portland keeps their pick, they should really, really consider him at seven. Um, you know, that's what they need is they need someone who can guard the perimeter. Um, I, according to synergy and, you know, synergy is not exact science, but according to synergy, um, uh, the opponent shot 15% on jumpers off the dribble when, when Soham was the nearest defender last year, 15%. What? Oh yeah. my God. Like you just, that's like Herbert Jones. I mean, that's, that's yeah, immediate exactly. defensive impact, right? Wow. But Herbert Jones did that at like 23, you know? Yeah. And like so him turned 19 on Friday. Wow. Um, so like imagine what that could be in three years, four years. So like the, the idea that, you know, people are not beating off the dribble in the big 12 where like, you know, it's a physical game still. Um, it's not like he was playing low level competition at Baylor. Like he wasn't playing. And this is not a knock on any of the people who do play, play in smaller schools, but he wasn't playing in like a small conference. He was playing like a, like a real notable program that were defending champions. And he, immediately stepped in and um you know i think a lot of people had kendall brown pegged as like the guy who was the defensive anchor on that team but you know scouts that i know that saw them in person were like jeremy sohan is the guy that people think kendall brown is he's the one that's actually adding 
all this defensive value uh, to Baylor's team. So um, I, I definitely think that, you know, he is going to get some buzz as he starts interviewing with more and more teams because people are going to like him. He's just a really infectious personality. And the Polish national team tie. Now we're getting into Marcin Bortat, the Polish hammer. I mean, it's it, it, it all makes sense. I'm a Jeremy Sohan fan. No, he's uh, he's an interesting prospect, and I've been watching him. And he's, I mean, he is buzzing between him and um and uh, uh, Jalen Williams. It's like that's uh, and and your boy uh, Trequavion. How do I say Trequavion Smith? Yeah, Trequavion Smith. Yeah, Dude, he's, he's, he's people he's an are intrigued by him. Too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think uh, for for Trequavion, like he is someone who. I believe took more three pointers per hundred possessions than every high major freshman ever besides Trey Young. So regardless of whether or not they were going in, like that says a lot about someone's confidence where yeah. you're shooting three threes more often than everyone ever at your age of competition level except for Trey Young. So to be even just to be in that company alone is great. So shooter, um, shoot. you know, yeah, he's a shooter. So <laughs> uh, I mean, I I like him. I think that he's closer to like that that bone thailand uh impact immediately which is which is a nice volume score yeah um but you know in terms of the lottery like i love the the players who can add that value on both sides of the ball defense um and and that's why i was so high on scotty last year it's why i'm going to be really high on sohan this year and, and tari Eason is going to be similar um and i, and I think that those are the guys who are going to play a long time in the nba not that volume scores don't but you know Guys who can come in and, and make a difference, even if they don't have the ball in their hands, are guys that, that I tend to gravitate towards. Was Eason the one whose hands were Kawhi sized? They were massive, right? Yeah. And, and Eason also was putting up defensive stats from last season that hadn't ever really been accomplished at the SAA level except for Matisse Heibel. Um, and Matisse Heibel was doing them as a senior. Not that Eason wasn't, you know, an underclassman, but, you know, he was his first year at LSU, first year of the program. He had transferred from Cincinnati. So, um, it was interesting to see him being able to come in and immediately make that kind of uh, impact. And he was a much more willing shooter uh, and efficient shooter than most defensive prospects uh, have been in college yeah, uh, over like the last few him. years. You know? yeah, sure. Tough um, kid. Yeah. Yeah. And he plays, you know, he, he loves dunking the ball too. And um, definitely a hyper athlete, like you said, with, with, with big hands. And, um, you know, I think that he's not going to clog the floor in the same way that like a table might. Um, but you know, his block and steal rate was just absolutely insane. Just like unheard of kind of stuff. Well, outstanding stuff as always, you're doing a phenomenal job. Um, the, I mean, we got plenty of time to keep on, to keep on sifting through it. So keep it coming. I loved, by the way, the, the comps, the index you did with the, with the comps, it's just, it's just perfect for somebody like me who just needs to go, okay, wait, how tall is this guy exactly? And how long is he? Let me, let me just get a sense, um, uh, of what these guys actually look like. Cause sometimes it can be difficult when you're just watching and doing it. Um, based off scouting. So um, great job as always. He's Brian Kalbroski. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. It's Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, Kalbroski, K-A-L-B-R-O-S-K-Y, and read all this stuff for the win USA Today. Brian, thanks so much. I appreciate it, bud. Thank you. I appreciate having me. Okay, be well. We'll talk to you soon. Jake Chapman here with you. It's the Mostly Magic Podcast. We've got more on Chet Holmgren in just a minute. And welcome back. It's the Mostly Magic Podcast, the Chet Holmgren special. Jake Chapman here with you. And my guest, my third and final guest here on the Chet cast is Tom Hudson. He is the men's basketball play-by-play voice, baseball as well for Gonzaga. He is currently in Stockton, California yeah. uh, with the uh, with the Bulldogs. And, and and where are we in the baseball season right now, Tom? We're, we're, we're getting ready for regionals? We are getting ready for regionals. It's, you know, most of the conferences are doing their, their tournaments right now. So uh, we've got – we did a six-team deal here, which is kind of interesting for the first time. We, it had been four teams, but 
Uh, we had a couple elimination games last night. Now we go into a double elimination kind of regional format. So, you know, automatic bid on the line, you know, very similar to basketball. So we'll know on Saturday who goes. And then uh, selection Monday uh, on Memorial Day. And then it'll uh, it'll kick in high gear. And, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's different different pace. It's amazing, Jake, how much everything kind of slows down. You know, after all the pressure and all the stuff going on with basketball, that sit in the baseball press box and have a hot dog and, you know, and send my, our old baseball coach, my, my color guy to uh, just sit and kind of relax a little bit. It's a, uh, it's a good change of pace. <laughs> yeah, just, for, just as a broadcaster and uh, we'll, we'll go a little inside baseball, uh, I, I guess, literally here. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the tone, the cadence, how much does it, it is it an adjustment for you? You get done, you know, I mean, basketball is basketball. And then all of a sudden yeah. it's, there's 10 seconds of dead air and you start yes. telling a story like, uh, uh, like, like, like we grew up with, right. It's just completely different, isn't it? it? It is. It's so funny you say that it is completely different. I always laugh my first couple of games doing, you know, baseball after basketball, I find myself having to slow down, right. Cause everything's <laughs> just going so fast. And, and then like I said, then that 10 second pause, it is comfortable turns into a 20 second, very uncomfortable pause. You know, it's right. like, well, I said everything I've got. And I said it real fast. <laughs> like I'm, you know, like I'm calling a basketball game. And so, yeah, it takes me a couple of games to kind of dial back into that, <laughs> you know, okay, we're, we're relaxing. It's okay. We can have some dead space and, yep. you know, <laughs> take your time talking. So <laughs> you, sure. you, you, that's what the, the, the cough button, I think in the baseball booth, it's, it's the hot dog button. It's whenever you yes. want to take a bite. Right? <laughs> yes, it is. Um, well, I appreciate the time again. And, and I did want to talk about Chet a little bit. We've mm -hmm. been obviously, um, going back and forth on Chet the prospect. I wanted to get you mm -hmm. and Tom to talk a little bit about Chet the player, um, Chet the person. And then I also wanted mm -hmm. to talk about kind of the perception in Spokane and, and what the year was like, his relationship with Jalen, of course. Um, just tell me about Chet Hungry. I just got done talking to Brian Kalbrowski, and he said, he writes for USA Today, he said all through the process, and this goes back to even before the season, every scout that he talked to was a, was a Chet fan. If, if anybody mm -hmm. knows Chet, they're on team Chet. And I found right. it interesting, Tom, because he doesn't have a huge personality or at the very least, you know, I mean, he's, he's what, 19 years old. So he's yeah. he's a bit reserved. But the idea of, of Chet the worker, Chet the gym rat, tell us about Chet Holmgren, the person. Yeah, it, It's interesting, Jake, and I think you make such a great point. I mean, there's a part of it, especially for us. And I know we'll talk about Jalen coming up here, but, you know, Jalen came in big personality, uh, you, you know, you really had this, there was this aura about him coming in. And, yeah. and it, you know, some of it probably was the position being a point guard and, and you know, and, and kind of being a, you know, in, in a leadership, you know, position, um, but also just different personalities, you know, and Jalen came back, uh, you know, he had a couple opportunities to come back to the kennel at the end of the year. And it was great. You know, he sat in the kennel club with the, with the students and took pictures and, you know, and, and it was awesome. He was like, Hey man, I'm getting to be an 18 or 19 year old kid. I mean, you know, you've seen him. He's, he's an electric type of a, a kid when it gets going. Jet's very different than that. He, he is. You're right. And I think some of it is that he's an 18 or 19 year old kid that has, you know, a lot of eyes on him. Uh, and I just think it's just kind of who he is. And, and you know, and I had a couple opportunities to speak to him and, and they were always, you know, great conversations. Um, but very, you know, I, I mean, it wasn't, you know, a bunch of hype and there wasn't a bunch of stuff. It, it's just I, I think that's, you know, who he is uh, as a person. And then meanwhile, while that's happening for those who think, well, OK, you know, he doesn't have the passion or doesn't have the fire. You know, you walk into the building and there's Chet working out, right? I mean, he's mm. getting up shots. You know, game ends, he wants to go get some shots, he's getting up some shots. Uh, you know, people talk about his physique, and yeah, I can't tell you the number of people that I've had tell me, well, gosh, if you guys just put 40 pounds on him, you're like, well, yeah, you're not putting 40 or 50 pounds on that frame, you know, and especially in eight months. That, that's not happening. He could have my 40 pounds. Kids, if he needs 40 pounds, I got, I'll, I'll give him mine if he wants. Yeah. It. 
hey, I'll, I'll throw an extra 15 or 20 in Ain't there. Ain't that easy, is we'll, it, we'll, Tom? We'll, no. we'll turn him into a beast. <laughs> you know, but, but the thing that, that sneakily, as you watch, you know, having the opportunity to see Chet when he got on campus in the summer and then seeing where he was at the end of the season, he was stronger. You know, yeah. he was in the weight room and he was working and he was doing those things uh, to, to improve his body. I mean, he's, you know, he's an intelligent kid. He knows he needs to get stronger. Right. And, and he was working at it. Like I said, you may not notice it from, you know, not seeing him every day, but, you know, watching him, you, you could see that he was working hard. And, and so, you know, I think he's, he's a good kid. You know, he, he immersed himself uh, into, you know, our community. I think he bought into what coach few was, was trying to, to do and, and into the team. You know, and I, I talked to you, I think with uh, about Jalen with this, you know, one of the biggest things that's turned Gonzaga into Gonzaga has been culture. And for as cliche as that may be, you know, when this thing started, we were winning with three-star and two-star recruits, right? And that's still kind of the formula is you're going to come in and buy into what we're doing. And it isn't, okay, well, you're uber talented. You're better than everybody else. And so we're just going to hand you the ball and let you go. I mean, there's right. still, for as good as Chet is, and for, you know, everybody talking about him potentially being the number one pick, you know, it wasn't like, okay, Chet's coming in and everything's going to focus on Chet. You know, it's like, okay, we've got guys who, who can play and, and we're going to work in this team concept. And Chet brought into that. And I think that that speaks volumes to, you know, to who he is, uh, especially being recruited by everybody and anybody. And he could have chosen to have gone to a place where they probably said, hey, Chet, we're going to let you shoot it 30 times a game. You know, we're going to let you do whatever you want to do. And, and he came in and bought into to what Coach View and, and our culture has been. And, uh, yeah, I, I did nothing but positive things to say about his experience. From my standpoint, watching him and, and seeing him, like you said, in the community, you know, he was really solid, uh, you know, and just being, you know, a part of, of our basketball community in Gonzaga, I, I thought he, he was great. That, I, I think that's really important to hear and, and good to hear because you do, you know, you're getting to the point now up there where, I mean, now you're starting to expect five stars. And I would yeah. think there, it, it, that – that process can be difficult. It takes a Jalen or a Chet to buy in to sort of, you know, strip, strip all this. I mean, you know, these guys have been told since they're 12 that, yep. uh, that the world is theirs. <laughs> and in some cases it actually is. But when you join a team with Drew Timmy on it uh, and yep. Nebard, right? Like you have yep. to defer. And I think, I think probably a lot of scouts look at that and they say, that's a benefit as opposed to, you know, he's not a killer and he's not going to go out there yeah. deferred to upperclassmen who are also probably going to be playing professional basketball for a very long time. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great point. And I, I think what you've got with him as well, when you look at his numbers overall, right. And, you know, he's playing 27 minutes a game and, you know, in almost posting a double, double, right. And, and then obviously some of the other things that we'll talk about, I'm sure is shot blocking those things, but he was very productive when he was on the floor. So yeah. he was deferring, but still taking his opportunities, right? So it wasn't like, okay, we're trying to figure out, do we want to draft this kid in the top five that averaged five points and seven rebounds, but, you know, block some shots and we think there's potential. I mean, if you look at kind of his numbers and what he did and the productivity uh, while deferring to those other guys, like you said, uh, I, you know, I, I think that's what makes him really intriguing is, is it, you know, it, you very easily could have given him the ball more if you didn't have Drew Timmy and you didn't have Andrew Nemhard, you know, and then even Julian Strother has made a little bit of noise. So I know he had a nice, you know, the pre NBA uh, kind of, you know, combine and, and, you know, some of those workouts have gone pretty well. And so, you know, I think you're hundred percent right. I, I mean, I, I think they look at that and don't see it as a, you know, it wasn't that Chet necessarily was deferring in a way of, I don't want to take a shot or right. I'm, you know, I'm scared of it. It was, I'm going to play, you know, in this deal. And, and Jake, we saw, you know, he got off to such a great start in WCC play, you know, shooting the three and how dangerous he is to trail three. You know, I mean, here's a kid yes. who would get a rebound. He'd outlet, you know, when our guards are off and running and he's, you know, he's trailing the play. Now, 
you know, you've got a 6'10 post who's trying to figure out, do I get down there and get to the paint because, you know, he's going to come down and post me up or Timmy's going to come down and post me up or, you know, he's going to come down and, and drive on me or do I wait with him because he's going to shoot a three. And then when I do that, he's going to blow right by me. Right. And just the, the danger of that. I mean, I, I want to say our first five or six games, he was shooting 65% from three, mm. you know, and the majority of them, like I said, you know, a lot of it's just trail stuff, you know, where he just kind of has the IQ to see, Hey, here's where everything's going. And I'm going to, you know, just kind of slow break, you know, get to the top of the key and knock down shots. And so, you know, I think you saw those types of things. Like you said, he was deferring, uh, but also has the, you know, that basketball IQ to understand where he could get his, his shots, you know, where, where he could be, you know, be effective uh, for our team and, and ended up uh, doing a lot of great things. I think he ended up, uh, you know, it was first or second in the country. He shot 73% from inside the, the three-point line this year. It was 38% shooting three. So it wasn't like he was, a, you know, like I said, he, he shot it pretty well from there. But, you know, he, he really knew how to pick his spots and, and make stuff happen. A lot of dunks, a lot of threes. And, you yeah. know, I'm pretty sure that's what the NBA likes these days. Yeah, exactly right. It, it, seems, it seems like a pretty good fit. <laughs> exactly. Let's do let's do the frame question because obviously mm-hmm. it is something that everybody's concerned with. I It feels a little bit like an overreaction, like, um, what's he going to do with Joel Embiid in the post? Well, what does anybody do with Joel Embiid in the post? Yeah, right. it's not the '90s. <laughs> He's not going to be dealing with Patrick Ewing, uh, you know, with his back to the basket every night. Um, but you know, obviously, I think there's some legitimate concerns there. I'm not a guy who says put 40 pounds on him, like you said, because I because I think that can really screw up somebody's you know body chemistry. Yeah. But I, I, I think probably ideally a few years from now, he's going to look a little bit different. How do you see it? What do you see his ideal sort of uh, frame and shape looking like when he hits 23, 24 years old? Well, and see, and I think that's interesting. I think, you know, since obviously him coming in. Now, what I thought was interesting, I, you know, not as good a scorer, and, and that's not a knock on Chad. I mean, I, I had the opportunity to see him. We played Texas when, when Durant was there as a freshman, you know, sure. and it was it was great. We beat him by 40, but he got his 30. You know, I mean, it was this perfect storm. We got ahead, I, maybe not 40, but, we you know, we got way ahead, and then you got to see, you know, Durant just, you know, completely go off and, and do all the things that you're like, okay, yeah, this guy is really legitimately good, right? But, but what I remember about Durant, not necessarily comparing their games, but just that, that question, right? Remember, he goes to the the combine and what, and he couldn't lift 185 pounds. Everybody's like, "Oh my gosh!" Well, it's worked out pretty good for him, right? right so, yeah. I mean, I don't know that you have to put the 40 pounds on, like you said. I see him getting stronger for sure. Uh, I don't see him getting, you know, big, big. So, to, to your point, I mean, I think he's going to grow into his body a, a little bit. But you know, his dad is tall and lean as well. You know, his dad was around all the time, and. Uh, it was really neat. His dad, to complete his side story, but you know, his dad carried a, a, a like a 1990s camcorder and, and would film like, like, you know, like he's doing a documentary on Chet. So he was always at games. You'd see him sitting in the stands, you know, just kind of leaning back, you know, because he's a big, he's 6'10", probably, you know, leaning back with his camcorder and, and taking pictures and, and shooting and doing the whole thing. So, so it was great. But his, his dad's a, a, you know, a tall, pretty lean guy as well. So, you know, I think he's, I see him getting stronger. Um, but again, it's not going to be a deal where, where he's going to put on a, a ton of weight. And, and I do think, uh, Jake, one thing that, you know, I marveled with Coach Few about this a little bit uh, was his toughness, which don't be surprised because of the lean frame, you know, how tough he is. And, you know, if you can imagine, I would imagine, especially early on when we were playing, you, know, you play Duke, uh, you know, and, and you go through the list and you're playing UCLA and, uh, you know, as all the games are playing, you're playing Texas, you know, on the scouting report is like, go after this kid. Right. Like go and dunk on him. He's going to try to block shots, you know, go after him. We need to be physical and aggressive with him. And Chet stood in there, man. I mean, it didn't matter. I mean, he'd stand in there. If you came in and tried to block the shot and you were going to hit him and you were going to knock him down, you know, the number of times he got knocked down, you know, standing in there protecting the rim, which 
you know, a lot of guys don't want to do anymore. Right. It's like, right. Hey, you're coming in, you're going to dunk on me and I run away because I don't want to be posterized and blah, blah, blah. Jet stood in there and took it and he got knocked down and he got right back up. So that's one thing to me. Don't be fooled. And coach said it a couple of He's like, I told you, you know, it's like, that's, that's who he is. That's what we saw in him, you know, and why we were recruiting him. It was that toughness. And so, you know, I think from, you know, a certain respect, the size, whether or not he puts on a ton of weight, I think the, the, the toughness is there and just the, the feel for blocking shots and protecting the rim. Uh, and Jake, I love the way he did it. You know, it wasn't like, okay, I'm going to block the shot in the sixth row and, you know, run around and talk and run my mouth. It was, come on in here. I'll block the shot. I'll grab it. Either I'm going to outlet or I'm going to go 94 feet and I'm going to dunk it on you like on my own. And I might dribble behind my back too, just for fun to show you that I, you know, that, that I'm that skilled. So, you know, I love the way that, that, that he approaches the game and, and seems to understand it. So, yeah, I, I think he's going to put on some weight. I think he'll need to put on some weight. But but I also think that there is a, a an internal toughness there that, you know, hey, he's not going to be scared. He's not going to be intimidated. He's still going to sit in there and, and block shots. And, you know, I mean, he tied our school record for, you know, for block shots in the season. I mean, I've blocked three, seven. And it, I think it's, uh, you know, Brandon Clark, who's playing for the Grizzlies right now, was the other guy who was, who was a really good shot blocker. So, you know, he stood in there and he took it. And then what you also saw, Jake, with him, was the number of guys, it was fascinating, a guard would beat his guy off the dribble. And this is why we got we were really good defensively. And then now you get in there and you're like, wait a second, you know, here's seven foot and, and I can't shoot shots. A number of times guys would get in there and literally dribble out of the paint. Yep. And, and go and try to find you're something altering, else. Versus, altering yes. the offense. Yes. And, and just a, a, an unbelievable job of doing that. I mean, multiple times and not just in the WCC, I'm talking across the board. You know, we play some of our, you know, NCAA tournament games. You see a guy get in there and it's like, okay, wait a second. I don't want any part of this, you know, and then that's a, you know, a, a huge thing to me. Well, I look at Duran, Jalen Duran from Memphis. I mean, that guy's built like, you know, out of bio or whatever. I think that guy's yep. a, got a pro body already and Chet went yep. toe-to-toe with him. Now, Arkansas, the Arkansas game, I think probably there's a little concern because Arkansas was, I mean, we know we know what Must does with those guys. Yep. That is a tough team, and they were able to get him into foul trouble. With that yep. said, I think I would, you know, especially a player like Chet, I would prefer that aggression, especially in a game like that, I, I want to know you're out there. And sometimes that mm -hmm. means getting in foul trouble, but you need yeah. that kind of mean streak, especially if, if you're dealing with what we perceive as, as a, as a frame that might get, that might get bullied a little bit early on in his career. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And, and I think that will, again, taking that next step is going to be it. Okay. Hey, you're the number one pick or the number three pick I'm coming at you. Right. And, and that's going to, I think he's going to have to answer those questions uh, again. Uh, I, I think you're right. And, and I think that's just going to be a, a part of it. And, you know, if what he did for us is any indication, uh, you know, he's not going to go down without a fight. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's and I think he'll, he'll step in there and, and continue to try to do it. Does his personality, Tom, mentality, and this is kind of a goofy, intangible question, but that, uh, does he want to be the number one pick? Does he want to have that spotlight or do you think he's a little bit more comfortable, um, you know, just sort of fitting in a little bit? Look, everybody wants to be the number one pick. Right. But some people's right. some people's personalities, but I think, align with, with with that kind of uh, spotlight a little bit more. Yeah, that's that's a great question, Jake, because he he did seem, you know, it, it's it's kind of funny for as much talk as there was, as much hype as there was, there was a part of him that kind of felt like, you know, he wasn't a big media, you know, guy. He didn't right. want a lot of the spotlight. He's not Jalen. I, I think if, if you, exactly, right? And, and I think if you looked, it, it was interesting. I'm not a big social media guy. I do it kind of because I have to, but, you know, I know a lot of his stuff that, you know, that he was posting wasn't about him. 
It was about what his teammates were doing potentially mm. or what the group was doing collectively. It wasn't like, hey, look at me. You know, I'm the guy or, hey, look, everybody's talking about me. And, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, I, I know towards the end of the year, you know, because the media every time after every game, it didn't matter. It was like, we want to talk to Chet. You, you know, Chet could have scored 10 points or he could have scored, you know, 25. And somebody else could have scored 25. And everybody always wanted to talk to Chet. And, you know, I, I know on a lot of those post-game interviews uh, with, with TV, he started asking, hey, I want my, you know, one of my teammates to come with me. You know, I, I want somebody else that, that played well. You know, let's bring Andrew Nemert. Andrew was a really quiet kid as well. Um, you know, but let's get him a little bit of, of publicity. So I think that's an interesting question because I don't think he necessarily craves the spotlight. Uh, I would imagine, I mean, think about how crazy it would be to be able to play with Jalen. You have two kids from the same high school that then went to the same college. And then, you know, within 18 months, they're playing in the NBA together. I mean, what a crazy story that would be. And just you know, probably for both of them. I mean, you talk about development, you know, having somebody you're familiar with, obviously would, would be a huge deal, but yeah, I don't know. Like you said, I think everybody would love to, right. I mean, yes, I would love to be the number one pick. What an amazing honor. Um, but I don't know that it's, you know, it's that driving thing. I mean, I think if he was picked second or third, I don't think that it would be, uh, you know, like he felt slighted or, or he was, you know, concerned about it. But that, that's a really interesting question. Cause I, I do think when you look at his personality and who he is, if it took some of the, you know, at least from what I saw, you know, if it took some of the pressure and some of, they're not pressure, that's not the right word because he's not scared of the pressure. But if it took some of that spotlight and the focus and the media attention and all those things, I, I think he'd be just fine with it if he wasn't. It just feels like proof positive um, on draft night when it's Mike Schmidt and Paolo and, and Chet and Jabari uh, and you got the Admiral right there. It just felt like the other two were ready for it and they were, you know, they were ready to go and Chet just kind of felt like, yeah, I'm here. I just want to hoop. Yeah. And, and I think that's a great, I think that can, especially with a young culture like we have down here, I think it could be a great fit to have a guy who sort of wants to defer and wants the spotlight to be about everybody as opposed to himself. And having Jalen, I mean, like you said, I think it would be a perfect transition. It would help both of them. But just, I mean, you know, verbiage and, hey, this is this, this is similar to what we did with Coach Few. This is similar to what we mm-hmm. did in Minnehaha, whatever. Um, I think it would, you know, it makes a ton of sense. You don't draft a guy just because he's buddies with Jalen Suggs, oh, right, right, uh, obviously, right. <laughs> but, um, but, but I do think that that process would work a lot before I get you out of here, Todd, I, I, Tom, I got to ask you about Drew Timmy mm-hmm. and the relationship potentially between those two and just what Timmy has meant to the program. Um, and do you think, you know, because if we talk about Chet's personality being over here, then I would say Drew's uh, yeah. is it's over <laughs> here. And yes. so how did they meet in the middle? What was that relationship like? You know, I, I think it worked out really well, and, and you're so right. I mean, they, they couldn't have been any more different. And, <laughs> and you know, and, and I think that, that, that they did a wonderful job. And I think, again, within the program, and you kind of talk about, you know, where the, the culture is and, and where the feel is. You know, so if you're Drew, you know, you're coming into this season and you are the AP preseason, you know, player of the year. And there are a lot of people talking about a guy who isn't you, yeah. right? I mean, I mean, there's a lot of it. And, and not just about, you know, somebody from – Duke or North Carolina or Kansas or, you know, some other program across the country, it's a guy who you're sharing a locker room with. Yep. Right. And then there was a lot of talk about that. And so, you know, the fact that, that, that Chet came in, I think they hit it off right away and, and everything was fine. You know, I, I think uh, that, that their relationship was great. Again, like you said, it was just very different people. Um, but, you know, I, I thought they played very well together. Um, and, you know, and again, it drew welcome Chet in with open arms. Uh, you know, I, I think that's kind of the thing too. Because I think what we've seen over there is that we go back and talk about, you know, Chet's averaging 14 and nine and a half, or, you know, nine and a half, 10 rebounds. Okay, well, that's not as much as some of these other guys, maybe, you know, and he didn't get to show all that off. But the the winning 
for the program and the winning for the team supersedes that. And scouts and, and GMs can see through all that stuff now, right? So, you know, it, for Drew, it wasn't like, okay, I'm going to get mine because I'm trying to get drafted. And great for Chet. We'll get him enough, and then we'll call it good. It was, hey, let's go try to win a national championship, you know, and, and let's do that together. And so, you know, it was kind of funny to see those two guys sometimes. You know, Drew's going through all his stuff and, and, and doing his deal, and, you know, and Chet's pretty, you know, reserved and, and quiet. So it, it was funny. But it, it was great seeing those guys play together. And, and Drew, I mean, what an unbelievable career he's had at this point, you know, regardless of what happens. I, I was talking to our, our sports information director the other day. We're good buddies. And, you know, our, our scoring record, you know, is 2,300 points or somewhere around there. And, and we've always kind of thought, I don't know if anybody can get there. Adam Morrison would have gotten there if he would have stayed for his last year, most likely. Yeah. Uh, Frank Burgess holds it. He said it back in, you know, the, the late 50s, early 60s, wow. you know, when they didn't shoot threes, which is crazy. And you're thinking, man, how did this guy, he averaged 30 points a game or whatever. But, you know, Drew, if he were to come back, is on pace to, to break that record to mm. tell you what kind of a career he's had for us. I mean, he's he's just been an unbelievable player, a great ambassador, you know, for our program. I mean, so much fun. Yeah, you know, I think I really love the guy. The I, I, I could watch him. I could watch a Drew Timmy reality show. Like I like give yeah, it to you, me. I love yes, it. you could. And I get to live a look, just a touch of that. And, <laughs> and you would enjoy that show immensely. It, it's it is hilarious, you know. And and I I, I had I, I share a quick story with you, Jake. It's really funny. We were talking about you know how much he talks to other players and, and other stuff. And you know, I'm like, so what are you like? What are you doing? You know, like you're just out there talking. He's like, hey, basketball is a great game, and I you know it's it's given me so many things. I've met so many friends, and you know, he kind of talked about you know, how he's made relationships with, you know, with other guys and become really good friends with them. Um, and, and, you know, I asked him, I was like, well, does anybody ever like tell you to shut up? You know, cause I mean, he's, he's, he's out there like, Hey, how's it going, man? You know, Hey, hey what's up? Like how's school going? Like, you know I mean? It, they're, they're, it's not trash talk. You know, he's like, Hey, all trash talk. If a guy wants to like, if he starts, but if the other team's down 25, Tom, they yeah. don't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> and he did tell me, and this was the best part of it is I was like, well, does anybody really like ever get mad at you? Like tell you to, you know, screw up. He's like, no, he's like, but I have had some guys tell me that their coach said they're not allowed to talk to me. <laughs> and so he, he starts like, exactly. And, and, and Drew's like, I was like, what do you do? He's like, well, I talk to him more, you know? So it's, it's, it's kind of a funny deal, but no, he's, he's been great, you know, and, and I'm intrigued to see kind of what goes on with, with him, you know, because he's kind of the, the opposite of, of Chet, right. And what the NBA has become. And then, I mean, his, I mean, his footwork is unbelievable. He's a low post guy, right? Which the NBA isn't necessarily right now. So I know he's been working his three point shot. I think he, he shot it pretty well at the combine, I think, in, in some of those those scrimmages. So it'll be interesting to see what what happens with Drew. But uh, yeah, great kid and uh, great ambassador for him. Like you said, it's fun just watching. I mean, you know, sometimes we just kind of sit back and you know you just kind of chuckle. Yeah, you know, you see him doing his stuff and uh, big big personality and uh, yeah, he, he's a really good kid. Yeah, I mean, he would bring, he'd bring a lot of value and, and benefit to the program if he wasn't such a great player. And if you guys weren't yeah. win, winning so many games, you get the personality and you get the production on top of it. Uh, and obviously, um, a, a bunch of successful seasons, a whole bunch of wins came up just a little bit short both of these last two years. But um, I got a feeling that drought is uh, is going to end soon, Tom. I mean, you guys are you guys are knocking on the door. I'm, I'm we're pulling for you down here. I'm like, hey, they need get them the ring for crying out loud. Like, yeah, it's, it's I know like it, it's it's been so close. And then you know what's what's funny is I I have laughed because you know I, I saw somebody put something out there. You know how many times it took you know Coach K to win his first. Like how many you know Final Fours, you know championship games. You know same thing with with Roy Williams. Some of the great coaches of all time. And it's it's not that easy uh, you know it, it is it is really so hard, random you know? too i mean got yeah, one it, you know one and done yes no absolutely and and you talked about chet getting into foul trouble against arkansas you know not being a homer but if you go back and look at you know two maybe even three of those fouls 
you know, arms up retreating and the offensive players putting a shoulder into him and, you know, and that's a whistle, you know, Hey, if, if Chet plays 32 or 33 minutes in that game, you know, for as, as ugly as maybe the final score looked to people, I mean, we're, you know, we're right there potentially. Yeah. So, so to your point of, you know, how quirky and, and how tough it is to do and how, how many things can, you know, can happen and go wrong, uh, you know, and, and we laugh, uh, you know, the North Carolina game, you know, in, in 17, there are a couple of plays, gosh, if they go your way, not making excuses, just saying, you know, there's one or two plays that you're national champs, you know, and, and those two plays didn't happen. Um, it, you know, you look at when we, my goodness, you know, we were being heralded as maybe the greatest college basketball team as one of them ever. And then you run into a just a buzzsaw. I mean, Baylor got us yep. good, and then all of a sudden we're one of the most overrated teams ever. You know, See, and, so, <laughs> there, there's so many parts of it that, that are that are crazy. But that yeah, part drives they, me nuts, though, because I had to hear. I, we listened to that. I mean, uh, there were actual people the next day, Tom, this year yes. after the game, saying, "Well, I, I I just don't know where they go from here." I'm like, "Where do yeah. they go? Back to the gym, and they'll be yeah. back next year." Like, you <laughs> right. have to you have to keep knocking on the door before you finally break through. Right. No, I, I agree. And, and I, and they keep working at it. And, and I, I think that I'm with you. I mean, we're going to, we're going to keep going. And I always used to use the golf analogy, uh, you know, with Phil Mickelson, you know, and everybody's like, Oh, it's, you know, who's the greatest player to never won a major and he can't win a major blah, blah. It's like, well, I'd rather finish second 10 or 12 times because eventually if I keep putting myself in that position, I've got an opportunity to win versus exactly. the guy who has a good weekend and wins a major. And then you never hear from him again. You're making you know, too much and, sense, and that Tom. Tom. That, Tom, you're making you know, too much sense. Not not yeah, right. in today's <laughs> not not in today's climate. Uh, right. no, it's, we're on to the next one. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time, Tom Hodson, uh, voice of the Gonzaga Bulldogs, and he is on Twitter. It is at Voice of Gonzaga. Does a phenomenal job. Um, we'll be keeping an eye on you guys. Good luck uh, with the baseball season for sure, and hopefully we can do this again. Uh, maybe after the draft, we'll we'll catch yeah. back up. All right, hey Jake, sounds great. It's always great talking to you. It's a lot of fun. Okay, thanks, Tom. Be well. All right. Thanks, Jake. All right. There he is. Tom Hudson, Jake Chapman here with you. So mostly magic podcasts. We'll be back uh, next week with another edition. Until then, stay safe, everybody.